There was a big dog who was watching a little dog chase its tail. Around and around they went. And the big dog asked what he was doing. This is how the little dog responded. The puppy said, I have mastered philosophy. I have solved the problems of the universe, which no dog before me has rightly solved. I have learned that the best thing for a dog is happiness, and that happiness is in my tail. (laughs) Thus I chase it, and when I catch it, I will have happiness. Said the old dog to the young puppy, I also have paid attention to the problems that are in the universe. I too have judged that happiness is good for a dog. And happiness is in my tail. But I have noticed that when I chase after it, it keeps running away from me. But when I go about my business, it comes after me. Most every person on earth will tell you, bottom line, I want happiness. I want to be happy. That is a goal in life. Jesus tells us here, how to make happiness happen. If you live this way in these Beatitudes, happiness will happen. Eight times Jesus uses the term blessed. And you know what it means, happy, to be congratulated, spiritually congratulated. And so it's an eightfold description of the Christian life. However, each one of these Beatitudes, admit it, is counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. If you were to go into the boardrooms of Orange County or corporate America, you wouldn't find a lot of talk about being poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, now would you? Can you picture Donald Trump, have you seen that show, The Apprentice? If he said or somebody said in that little room, listen, I'm poor in spirit and I hunger and thirst after righteousness, he would say, you're fired. Now, if the other Beatitudes so far have been foreign to us, this one will seem like it's from the moon. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, did you notice already that it's a double beatitude? The word blessed is used twice. First in the third person, blessed are those. Then in the second person, blessed are you. And and that's noteworthy. It's as if it's saying doubly blessed are the persecuted. God shows special blessing and is generous to those who suffer well. Now, folks, this morning, I'm going to invite you to step into a different world. I don't know if it will work or not in the future as far as a lifestyle, but I'm going to invite you to step into the world of persecution. To step into a world that most Americans uh, would avoid like the plague because we think having a smile is our chief aim in life. This is a different kind of a world, but you will find that if you keep Jesus' priorities like the tail following the dog, happiness will discover you. Let me tell you a little story about a guy who was on my staff 
in Albuquerque a few years ago. Colby Scott was his name. He was a young janitor. He was in our school of ministry. And he was walking home one day after work, and he had headphones on. He didn't have a Walkman. He had headphones because it was cold. He was keeping his ears warm. A few guys saw him, thought he had a stereo, stopped him, and demanded they give that that man give them his Walkman. He said, I don't have a Walkman. I just have headphones. But do you know that Jesus loves you? And they said, don't tell us that stuff. And one guy said, I have a gun. Colby said, Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. Shut up, they said. We don't want to hear that stuff. I have a gun and I'm not afraid to use it. And Colby said, and I'm not afraid to die for Jesus. And why are you so afraid of Jesus? Well, you can almost predict what would happen. They beat him up. They broke his jaw. And Colby walked home singing, rejoicing that he was able to taste part of the sufferings of Jesus Christ. I tell you, when he came and told that story to our church, it emboldened suddenly everyone to be more on fire for Christ. You know, we Americans uh, often sulk if somebody laughs at our Christian bumper sticker. I've been persecuted. (laughs) Oh, please. Now, before we begin in this passage and jump right in, keep a marker here. Go down the street to the right to the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at a parallel passage. I don't believe it's the identical situation or instance in which Jesus spoke it, but it is a similar and parallel passage. Luke chapter 6. You've got to see this. Luke 6, verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil. Now watch this for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Oh, come on. How astonishing. Leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. Now this is such an unusual idea and and a strange passage that I want to look at it this morning sort of from an investigative reporter's viewpoint. Uh, Newspaper people will ask the questions, who, what, where, why, how. I'm not going to ask all the questions, but it's unusual enough that I want to ask what. What is persecution? Uh, Number two, why. Why does it happen And number three, how can we handle it? So the first question, what is persecution? Here Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. What does that mean? Is persecution simply being treated badly by people? If we don't get our way and people don't like that, does that mean we say, I've been persecuted? Now, listen carefully. This is what persecution is. Persecution is the inevitable clash between two irreconcilable value systems. Once again, it is the inevitable clash between two irreconcilable value systems. You put the value system of the world apart from Christ and the value system of the kingdom of God close to one another, guaranteed you're going to have persecution. It is inevitable. You'll notice in verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted, not might be persecuted. 
Look at verse 11. When they revile and persecute you. Not if they do it, but when. So it's the inevitable uh, consequence, you might say, of two irreconcilable value systems or clash. Uh, Persecution comes in many forms. There is physical persecution. That's probably what, at least in part, is intended here. The word in Greek, dioko, for persecuted, means to put to flight or to chase or to drive away. And it speaks of being physically hassled for our faith in Christ. I didn't know what this was until, as a young Christian, I was asked to participate in a Christian outreach event here in Southern California. I was the bass player for it. Now, I wasn't a very good bass player, but I was in the band. And I thought, great, it's my first chance to preach the gospel through music. I'm thinking everybody's going to love it. Boy, was I wrong. I had my motorcycle parked outside of this community center, and there was a group of people who so hated the message we were bringing, they decided they wanted to burn the building down. And they decided the best way to do that is use gasoline from a motorcycle gas tank. So they put my motorcycle against the building, put a match in the gas tank, my bike exploded, and the building started catching on fire. And it's like the Lord is saying, welcome to the ministry. (laughs) But when I really began to understand persecution is when I went over to the country of India. And I'll never forget going out Street witnessing. I had done that before here in Orange County years ago. I decided to do it with a group of people who were doing it in India. There we were on the streets sharing about Jesus, and a group of Hindus gathered around us, and they weren't happy. They were angry. And they started talking to each other, and the crowd started growing around us. And I turned to my friend, and I said, What's happening? And he said, I think they're going to beat us up. And he said it so nonchalantly, I'm thinking, oh, great. I come all the way over across the world to get beat up. But I saw these young believers in their faith so staunch and so unmovable. And then I listened to their stories afterwards. By the way, the crowd dispersed. We didn't get beat up. But one of these young men was telling me about his own family. He was the son of a Hindu priest. He gave his life to Christ. He went home. He told his parents. His dad took out a knife and chased him down the street to kill him. And he escaped and he said, I have not seen my father since that date. By the way, his name was Joy. Joy Kutichako. And what a joyful man he was. Did you know that about 65 to 80 percent of all the Christians in the world live outside of the United States of America and Europe? Most all of them, three-fourths of the world's Christian population is susceptible to physical persecution. And if you look back through the history of the church, our forefathers paid a tremendous price for believing in Christ. One of the best books you could ever get a hold of, I recommend it as reading, is Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a must-read. I would read it, in fact, a few times during your Christian life experience. It's a a chronology of those who lived their faith out in this value system of the world and were persecuted for it. The author begins with the apostles. Here's a smattering. Stephen, stoned to death. Matthew was chopped to pieces with a battle axe in Ethiopia. James, beheaded for his faith. James, the less, 
had his brains dashed out with a club. Peter crucified upside down, John boiled in oil and then exiled. I thought about that when a few years ago I stood in the Roman Colosseum and I thought of all the scenes that must have taken place in that place. All that I had read about. Things like Nero, the emperor, lighting Christians' bodies as torches to light up his gardens at night. Or gutting animals and taking the skins of them and wrapping them around believers while they were alive and sewing them together tightly and then having hunting dogs chew them to pieces. Or pouring lead on them, boiling lead until they died. Or affixing hot brass plates to the tenderest parts of their bodies as they writhed in agony. You say, well, Skip, that happened so long ago. This passage certainly doesn't have anything to do with us in Orange County, California in the year 2004, is it? Okay. Listen to this. Kent Hill, director of the Institute on Religion and Democracy from Washington, D.C., said, there have been more martyrs produced in the 20th century than in all other centuries combined since the time of Christ. I know that shocks us. It does shock us. Last year, 156,000 people, Christians, were martyred last year alone in the world. Then there is verbal persecution, not just physical persecution. Notice the text. He says, Blessed are you when they revile you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. The word revile means to cast in one's teeth. In other words, to throw abusive words in your direction. And I think, I think this is the most common form of persecution that that we face. People slander us. Jesus freak, or fundamentalist, or bigot, or intolerant, or whatever it might be. We hear verbal insults uh, thrown our way. They call Jesus a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Paul was named a babbler when he was in Athens by those who were citizens. Festus said to Paul, you are beside yourself. You are nuts. The Roman historian Tacitus said of the early Christian martyrs, mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. So there is physical persecution. There is verbal persecution. I would say there's another, social persecution. In Luke 6, we just looked at that briefly, Jesus said, Blessed are you when they exclude you. Some of you, perhaps, have been shunned from social gatherings. We don't want Christians to spoil the fun. So you're not invited because you'd spoil the fun. That is, if you talk about Jesus. Uh, Some of you have suffered the lack of a promotion in business because you're a Christian and we don't want somebody like that in a position of power and authority. I've known people who have uh, been cast out of their family, disowned as a family member, disowned because they name the name of Christ. Back 2,000 years ago, Rome did this. They invented charges against Christians to exclude them from social gatherings. Did you know that the early Christians in Rome were called cannibals? There was a a rumor going around that these Christians are cannibals. You know why? 
because they took communion and they called it the body and the blood of the Lord. And so the rumors were false, but spread that they actually ate people. They were cannibalistic. Then there is emotional persecution. Again, I'm referring to Luke 6 when Jesus says, Blessed are you when they cast out your name as evil. Have you been noticing the news broadcast lately? We're, we're accused of hate crimes because we would say some kind of behavior is wrong. We love the person, but that behavior is wrong. They'll call that a hate crime. You'll be accused of being intolerant. And they'll say, we can't tolerate that. Madeline Murray O'Hare did an interview once, and she said, listen to her words. This is one promoting tolerance, by the way. Christianity is intolerant, anti-democratic, anti-sexual, anti-life. It is anti-woman, and I cannot stand that. It is anti-everything that is good and human and decent and kind and love-filled and understanding. I used to have an intellectual hatred for Christianity. I think it's broadening now. I enjoy hating the whole thing. That coming from the lips of someone so tolerant, she said. You see, what they're saying is, let's be tolerant of everything except Christianity. Well, that's what persecution is. Here's the next question. Why? Why does it happen? Why is it that you live in this world as a Christian and you get next to the world and you have persecution? Well, it's easy to understand. It's a natural consequence of those who have a supernatural focus. It's a natural consequence of those who have a supernatural focus. What did Paul say to Timothy? All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. If you desire to live a godly life in this world, you will suffer persecution. Look at it this way. If you dare decide to really be a Christian and say, I'm going to wholeheartedly follow Jesus in front of my neighbors, my boss, my friends, my school, do you think hell is going to give you a standing ovation and not hassle you? Oh, no, that's when the attack comes on. And this is what it's like. Have you ever walked into a dark room when somebody's eyes has gotten accustomed to the dark and you turn on the light? You might do it as a joke. I wouldn't recommend you do it as a joke because you won't make friends doing it that way. But they're, they're, they're tired. Their eyes have grown accustomed to the darkness. You turn on the light, and what do they do? Like, hi? Now they go, turn it off. And that's what happens in this world when you shine the light of Jesus Christ. You're turning on the light. They hate the darkness, and they want the light extinguished. As Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. Here's the principle. Here's the principle. Great persecution is the result of the Great Commission. Great persecution is the result of the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and just be good, just do nice things, and if necessary, use words. No. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Did you know the world doesn't like those marching orders? So great persecution is the result of the Great Commission. I want you to plant something in your memory. Either remember it or write it down. Here it is. 
If you follow Acts 1.8, you can expect Acts 8.1. I'm going to explain that to you. If you follow Acts 1.8, you can expect Acts 8.1. In Acts 1.8, it says the commission was go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth sharing the gospel. If you do that, you can expect Acts 8.1, which says at that time a great persecution arose against the church. Practice Acts 1.8, expect Acts 8.1. Okay, let's step back for a moment. There is a way to avoid persecution. You might be listening to this sermon and thinking, Skip, this is not really comforting to me this morning. It's not what I came to hear. I don't really want to be persecuted. Well, you can avoid it. How? Disobey Christ. Disobey Christ. Blend in with the world. Don't preach the gospel. Laugh at all their lame jokes. Be like them. You won't get hassled. There was a college student. He went away. He he had been raised in a sheltered Christian environment. He went away to get a job one summer up in uh, the Pacific Northwest, Oregon or Washington as a logger. And his parents knew that these guys were a rough group. They were afraid that he would really be hassled for his faith. End of the summer, it was their first question. "How, How did it go? And he said, Mom and Dad, it went great. They never even found out that I was a Christian. How tragic. Notice the qualification for persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for what? Righteousness sake. Verse 11, for my sake. Those are qualifying phrases. Listen, Jesus is not saying, blessed are the persecuted. There's no blessing in getting beat up, hassled, or persecuted. I heard about a missionary who was standing next to a cannibal, and the cannibal was just staring at him. And the missionary said, Why are you looking at me so intently? And the cannibal said, I'm the food inspector. (laughs) Listen, there's no blessing in getting eaten up by the world. No, it's those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So if you're going to get hassled, make sure it's for the right reasons. It doesn't say, Blessed are those who are persecuted for weirdness' sake. Or blessed are those who are persecuted for obnoxiousness sake. Did you know you can bring persecution on yourself by just being goofy? Years ago, I was down at the Huntington Beach Pier, and I watched a preacher. He didn't attract one person. It was sort of the message of, uh, well, I'll tell you what he did. He had his Bible in the air, and he was ranting and raving, and he grabbed somebody by the scruff of the neck and drew them in and held his arm and yelled at him. And I didn't watch crowds flock. I watched people become repulsed. And he was persecuted, but it wasn't for righteousness' sake. He was weird. And he was persecuted. You know, the the gospel message is, is not, hey, you uncircumcised Philistine, you like hell? No, that's just being obnoxious. Paul spoke of those who have zeal that's not according to knowledge. Jesus said you need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I'll put it this way. I would say God wants sharpshooters, not machine gunners. Aim carefully. Craft that gospel message to the unsaved in a very strategic manner. 
Nor does it say, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of their cause. I know a lot of people who protest and picket for all sorts of reasons and all sorts of good causes and good issues. And they suffer persecution, but it's not because they preach the gospel. Make sure that it's because you preach the gospel. I want you to turn to one final other passage, if you would. I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I think we'll just give enough extra information to help us understand how this all works as we compare one text with another. 1 Peter chapter 4 basically will tell us that if you're going to suffer, make sure it's for the right cause, righteousness cause. 1 Peter 4 verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, there's the word, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So, Those are my two questions as the investigative reporter. What is it? Why is it? There's a third, and I close with this. How? How do we handle persecution? How do we handle this animosity that the world gives toward us as we live our value system out? Well, go back to Matthew and notice what Jesus says. He says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad Now again, what does Luke say? Rejoice and leap for joy. Literally, the word means to skip and jump with happy excitement. Be overjoyed. Whee! i got to admit something to you. I don't get it. I mean, I've read it like you have, but but that's just, it sounds so counterintuitive. It just doesn't make sense. How is that possible? How could I ever rejoice in that? Here it is, and I close with this, by looking in three places. You can rejoice by looking in three places. Look up, number one. Notice Jesus said, when you're persecuted for my sake. When you're persecuted for the gospel, you are identifying yourself with Jesus Christ. And he said, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you. So you can go, I look up. I'm identified with Christ. You know, I've traveled around as an American, and, and I... I, I don't look Middle Eastern. I do look American. And when I travel to places where there's an anti-American sentiment, I feel it. You see, and it's only because those countries don't like America's foreign policy. The world doesn't like God's foreign policy of evangelism. And so th- at that moment, you need to look up to identify with him. Number two, by looking ahead. Look up, number one. Number two, look ahead. Jesus said, for great is your reward in heaven. What Amanda ministered to us about what the glories of heaven are going to be like. Some people accuse Christians of being so, have you heard this, heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Oh, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You know that all of the Bible heroes would disagree with you if that's your sentiment. The Bible says Abraham looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, for he looked to the reward. It is said that early Christian martyrs would march to their death as if going to a feast. Can you imagine that? 
One historian says, when the day of victory dawned, these Christians marched in procession from the prison to the arena where they were marching as if they were going to heaven with joyous countenances agitated by gladness rather than fear. So in persecution, look up, look ahead where you're going. It's like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And then third, look around. Look up, identify with Jesus. Look ahead, you're going to heaven. Look around. Jesus said, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, when you're persecuted, you are standing next to an elite group. Moses, Jeremiah, Elijah, all of these men and women of faith who were persecuted for righteousness' sake who went before you. And so I am inviting you to join the procession of persecution. Dare to be bold enough to share and live your faith out on a daily basis so that everybody knows around you, you're a Christian. You're not ashamed of it. You want them to get to heaven. You don't want them to go to hell. You want them to live forever in God's kingdom, and you're going to tell them about it. Well, they're not going to like me. Let the chips fall where they may. Love them in the name of Christ enough to tell them the truth. I want to close with a story. Long ago, or maybe not so long ago, there was a tribe in a dark, cold cavern. The cave dwellers would huddle together and cry against the chill. Loud and long they wailed. It was all they did. It was all they knew how to do. The sounds in the cave were mournful, but the people didn't know it, for they had never known joy. The spirit in the cave was death, but the people didn't know it, for they had never known life. But then one day, they heard a different voice. I have heard your cries, it announced. I have felt your chill. I have seen your darkness, and I've come to help. The cave people grew quiet. They had never heard this voice. Hope sounded strange to their ears. How can we know that you've come to help? Trust me, he answered. I have what you need. The cave people peered through the darkness at the figure of the stranger. He was stacking something and then stooping and stacking more. What are you doing? One man cried, nervous. The stranger didn't answer. What are you making? One shouted even louder. Still no response. Tell us, demanded a third. The visitor stood and spoke in the direction of the voices. I have what you need. With that, he turned to the pile at his feet and he lit it. Wood ignited, flames erupted, and light filled the cavern. The cave people turned away in fear. Put it out, they cried. It hurts to see it. Light always hurts before it helps, he answered. Step closer. The pain will soon pass. Not I, declared a voice. Nor I, agreed a second. Only a fool would risk exposing his eyes to such light. The stranger stood next to the fire. Would you prefer the darkness? Would you prefer the cold? Don't consult your fears. Take a step of faith. For a long time, no one spoke. The people hovered in groups covering their eyes. The fire builder stood next to the fire. It's warm here, he invited. He's right, one from behind him announced. It's warmer. The stranger turned and saw a figure slowly stepping toward the fire. I can open my eyes now, she proclaimed. I can see. Come closer, invited the fire builder. She did. She stepped into the ring of light 
It's so warm. She extended her hands and sighed as her chill began to pass. Come, everyone, feel the warmth, she invited. Silence, woman, cried one of the cave dwellers. Dare you lead us into your folly? Leave us, leave us and take your light with you. She turned to the stranger. Why won't they come? They chose the chill. For though it's cold, it's all they know. They'd rather be cold than change. And live in the dark? And live in the dark. The now warmed woman stood silent, looking first at the dark, then at the man. Will you leave the fire, he asked. She paused, and she answered, I I cannot, I cannot bear the cold. And then she spoke again, but nor can I bear the thought of my people in darkness. You don't have to, he responded. Reaching into the fire and removing a stick, he said, carry this to your people. Tell them the light is here and the light is warm. Tell them the light is for all who desire it. And so she took the small flame and stepped into the shadows. That's our commission. Your commission, I'm inviting you, is to be part of the persecuted. Don't go through this week thinking, great, they'll never find out I'm a Christian. That's not successful. Let them know, tell them how to get to heaven, and listen to this. How many of you know at least one unbeliever? At least one? You don't? Some of you don't even know a heathen? We need to work on that. (laughs) Got to get out more. What if each one of you decided, I'm going to bring an unbeliever to church? That's my commission. I'm going to make sure and pray for and bring an unbeliever, one, every week. It would grow the right way by getting people exposed to the truth through your mouth and through the preaching of the word. That's your commission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are your people. We are your light bearers. Help us to do that and to be that for the glory of Christ for the sake of the kingdom that is yours and that is coming soon. Lord, we believe there's not much time left, that Jesus is coming soon. And so commission us, embolden us, empower us, even at the risk of physical, verbal, social, and emotional persecution. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.